Chapter Four of The Turn of the Tide. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Candace Dulick, Dallas, Texas. The Turn of the Tide by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter Four. In spite of Mrs. Kendall's earnest efforts, Margaret was not easily convinced that marriage might be desirable, and that all husbands were not patterned after Tim Sullivan and Mike Whalen. Nor was this coming marriage the only thing that troubled Margaret. Life at the alley was still too vividly before her eyes to allow her to understand any scheme of living that did not recognize the supremacy of the sharpest tongue and the heaviest fist and this period of adjustment to the new order of things was not without its trials for herself as well as for her mother the beauty love and watchful care that surrounded her filled with ecstatic rapture but the niceties of speech and manner daily demanded of her terrified and dismayed her why bully and bang up should be frowned upon when after all they but expressed her pleasure in something provided for her happiness she could not understand and why the handling of the absurdly large number of knives forks and spoons about her plate at dinner should be a matter of so great moment she could not see as for the big white square of folded cloth that her mother thought so necessary at every meal its dainty purity filled margaret with dismay lest she soil or wrinkle it and for her part she would have much preferred to let it quite alone there were the callers too beautiful ladies in trailing gowns who insisted upon seeing her though why margaret could not understand for they invariably cried and said poor little lamb when they did see her in spite of her efforts to convince them that she was perfectly happy and there were the children they too were disconcerting they came sometimes alone and sometimes with their parents but always they stared and seemed afraid of her there were others to be sure who were not afraid of her but they never called they slipped in through the back gate at the foot of the garden and they were really very nice they were nat and tom and roxy trotter and they lived in a little house down by the river they never wore shoes nor stockings and their clothes were not at all like those of the other children margaret suspected that the trotters were poor and she took pains that her mother should see nat and tom and roxy her mother however did not appear to know them which did not seem so very strange to margaret after all for of course her mother had not known there were any poorer people so near otherwise she would have shared her home with them long ago at first it was margaret's plan to rectify this little mistake immediately but the more she thought of it the more thoroughly she was convinced that the first chance belonged by right to patty's family and the Waylands in new york inasmuch as they had been so good to her she determined therefore to wait a while before suggesting the removal of the trotter family from their tiny inconvenient house to the more spacious and desirable five oaks delightful as were the trotters however even they did not quite come up to bobby mcginnis for real comradeship bobby lived with his mother and grandmother in the little red farmhouse farther up the hill it was he who found margaret crying in the streets on that first dreadful day long ago when she was lost in new york 
for a week she had lived in his attic home then she had become frightened at his father's drunken rage one day and had fled to the streets never to return all this margaret knew though she had but a faint recollection of it it made a bond of sympathy between them nevertheless and caused them to become fast friends at once it was to bobby that she went for advice when the standards of houghtonsville and the alley clashed and it was to bobby that she went for sympathy when grievous mismanagement of the knives and forks or of the folded square of cloth brought disaster to herself and tears to her mother's eyes she earnestly desired to as she expressed it to bobby come up to the scratch and walk straight and it was to bobby that she looked for aid and counsel you see you can't tell just what to sell me she argued earnestly as the two sat in their favorite perch in the apple tree you don't know patty and the Waylands, of course but you do know folks just like em and mother don't you see she knows only the kind that lives here and she she don't understand but you know both kinds and you can tell where tis that i ain't like a mere and i want to be like em bobby i do truly they're just bang up i mean beautiful folks she corrected hastily and mother's so good to me she's just margaret stopped suddenly a new thought seemed to have come to her bobby she cried with sharp abruptness did you ever know any husbands that was good husbands good what do you mean did you ever know any that was good i mean that didn't beat the wives and bang em around did you bobby bobby laughed he lifted his chin quizzically and gazed down from the lofty superiority of his fourteen years sure ain't you beginning sort of early to worry about husbands he teased but maybe you've already uh, picked em out huh margaret did not seem to hear she was looking straight through a little open space in the boughs of the apple tree to the blue sky far beyond bobby she began in a voice scarcely above a whisper if that man should be bad to my mother i think i'd kill him bobby roused himself he suddenly remembered joe bagley and the kitten what man he asked dr spencer dr spencer gasped bobby why dr spencer wouldn't hurt a fly he's just bully margaret stirred restlessly she turned a grave face on her companion bobby she reproved gently i don't think i ought to hear them words if i ain't allowed to see em myself bobby uptilted his chin i've heard your mamma say ain't whatn't proper he observed virtuously i shouldn't have mentioned it only well seeing as how you're getting so awful particular for the more telling effect he left the sentence unfinished again margaret did not seem to hear again her eyes had sought the patch of blue showing through the green leaves dr spencer may be nice now but he ain't a husband yet she said thoughtfully there was tim sullivan and patty's father and mike whalen she enumerated aloud and they was all bobby was your father a good husband she demanded with a sudden turn that brought her eyes squarely round to his the boy was silent bobby was he slowly the boy's eyes fell well of course sometimes dad would he began but margaret interrupted him i knew it i just knew it i just knew there wasn't any she moaned but i can't make mother see it i just can't 
this was but the first of many talks between margaret and bobby upon the same subject and always margaret was seeking for a possible averting of the catastrophe to convince her mother of the awfulness of the fate awaiting her and so to persuade her to abandon the idea of marriage was out of the question margaret soon found it was then perhaps that the idea of speaking to the doctor himself first came to her if i could only get him to promise things she said to bobby if i could only get him to promise promise yes to be good and kind you know nodded margaret and not like a husband bobby laughed then he frowned and was silent suddenly his face changed i say you might make him sign a contract he hazarded contract sure one of them things that makes folks toe the mark whether they wants to or not i'll draw it up for you that's what they call it he explained airily and as margaret bubbled over with delight and thanks he added not at all tain't nothin glad to do it i'm sure for a month now, Bobby had swept the floor and dusted the books in the law office of Bert and Bert to say nothing of running errands and tending door. In days gone by, the law, as represented by the policeman on the corner, was something to be avoided. But today, as represented by a frock coat, a tall hat, and a vocabulary bristling with big words, it was something that was most alluring, so alluring, in fact, that Bobby had determined to adopt it as his own he himself would be a lawyer tall hat frock coat big words and all hence his readiness to undertake this little matter of drawing up a contract for margaret his first client it was some days nevertheless before the work was ready for the doctor's signature the young lawyer unfortunately could not give all of his time to his own affairs there were still the trivial duties of his office to perform he found too that the big words which fell so ghibly from the lips of the great bert and bert were anything but easily managed when he tried to put them upon paper himself bobby was ambitious and persistent however and where knowledge failed imagination stepped boldly to the front in the end it was with no little pride that he displayed the result of his labor to his client then with her gleeful words of approval still ringing in his ears he slipped it into its envelope sealed stamped and posted it thus it happened that the next day a very much amazed physician received this in the mail to whom it may concern whereas i the undersigned being in my sane mind do intend to commit matrimony i the said undersigned do hereby solemnly declare and agree to wit not to beat my aforesaid wife not to bang her around not to falsely wickedly and maliciously treat her not once moreover i the said undersigned do solemnly swear all this to margaret kendall the daughter and lawful protector of the said wife to wit mrs kendall and whereas if i the aforesaid undersigned do break and violate this my solemn oath concerning the said wife i do hereby swear that she to wit margaret kendall may bestow upon me such punishment as seems eminently proper to her at such time as she sees fit whereas and whereunto i have this day set my hand and seal here followed a space for the signature and a what somewhat thumbed a regular daub of red sealing wax. End of chapter four. Recording by Candace Dalek, Dallas, Texas.